Welcome back to Our Soul, a podcast by Faith Choice Ohio, Ohio's faith voice for choice. So this week I met with a group of clergy, Ohio Clergy for Choice, which we do every month, and the entire hour was taken up with us just trying to discuss the state of play of where all of these abortion bans and temporary injunctions and court cases are in Ohio, Indiana, West Virginia, Kentucky, and all the other states that we interact with. So it was it was just kind of amazing because things are changing by the day. We're recording um, today on Friday, the last day of the month in September. Things might be completely different by the time this episode airs, and I feel like we say that every time, but it's true. And I just want to like... I want to lift up some joy that we got this week because in addition to all of the temporary restraining orders, woohoo, Ohio and Indiana where abortion is still accessible for, you know, a few more weeks depending on how the TRO goes. In addition Mm -hmm. to that, we got excellent news out of Indiana this week that a lawsuit on a long ago past um, abortion ban, abortion restriction called the Fetal Remains Bill, Disposal of Fetal Remains. It was favorably decided for abortion providers and for people of religious faith and values who have abortions. And it gets a little in the weeds, but the the short version of the story is the state of Indiana decided to enact a ban that said you have to bury or cremate the remains from any abortion procedure. And that means any abortion, any time in the state of Indiana under this law would have had to be buried or cremated, regardless of whether the person believed that burial or cremation was an appropriate ritual to honor their abortion, whether individuals were offended by the use of burial and cremation in those ways, and religious folks, particularly Jewish persons and some liberal Protestants, came together and said, how can we fight this? And with the ACLU and a bunch of other organizations in Indiana, they came forward and brought a suit on First Amendment grounds and Establishment Clause grounds, saying that religious freedom says, no, you can't force us to bury and cremate the remains of abortions. And the court in Indiana upheld that viewpoint in this week. And the reason that we're so excited about that is because we have our own identical, almost identical law here in Ohio that is being challenged in a very similar way. And we're engaged in that challenge at Faith Choice Ohio. So it's just really good precedent at the state next door. We're hoping we follow our Hoosier cousins and get some good news Mm -hmm. for a religious right to access abortion and to not be forced to practice religion that people don't agree with. And that's really like the ball game when it comes to our conversation and dialogue about religious abortion access. Like people of faith want to have access to abortions and all of these bans are prohibiting that. So we consistently stand at Faith Choice Ohio uh, against those abortion bans Because abortion bans are against our religion. Yeah. All that to say, everything is a mess in terms of TROs and current status and, um, you know, where we stand in this moment. 
how do you make sense of this, Kelly? I mean, you you work for a national organization, so like you're also looking at like all the other 50 states in terms of <laughs> where their laws are, how their laws are working. You work for legal people. Like where do you go for resources when you want to know like what the the latest news is for a, a state? Where do you go? Um, I mean, I can I can definitely understand how it's hard. I am very very grateful. I have people like you, people like uh, on my team at uh, If One How, which for those who don't know, I also work for If One How, which is a organization that helps provide um, legal support for people, especially people um, who are self-managing their abortions, um, but they also help with any questions that people have around legality and things like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we cover and I'm grateful that we have a, a team that really like shares that stuff um, with us, but it's been kind of a hellscape this year, <laughs> if you, as you can imagine. Um, and it, it can definitely be hard to know, you know, day by day, week by week. I mean, I just remember the last podcast that we recorded, which was last week to I don't know it's time is weird but anyway the last podcast that we recorded like right after we finished recording right as I had finished uh well not right after we finished recording but right as I was finishing the edit the extension on the um temporary restriction was announced and I started like panicking uh and I was like you know how do we do we update people do we not but like that's just kind of like the state of things like every day there's something different that's uh, that's going on. Um, but I, to be honest, I'm very grateful to have people around me who let me know about news things that are going on. So I feel like I'm not, I'm not the best at telling people where to go because my answer is just have uh, people who pay attention to that uh, <laughs> tell you. Um, because my kind of um, uh, mental health boundary is that I don't seek out the news. I let the news find me, um, which is, you know, not a practice that everybody could have without having those um, people who, you know, want to know the news in their life. Um, and I'm lucky to have those people. So <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I'm not a great, I'm not a great help on that one. But um, I can definitely like relate to you. I mean, after everything started like we talked about in the last uh podcast there's just like a lot of confusion for people as to like where they can go and what is safe and like oh can I have abortions you know stuff like that um and it's just hard to find that information absolutely and and it's hard when what information you're seeking might not be the information that an organization collects or produces mm -hmm. I know for me, the the two places that I go, aside from, you know, your your statement of I have people, right? I have people who know <laughs> yeah. these things. Like that's I I think that's where we all are, right? All of us have people. We have people who are the authorities on things that we will go to because we trust them, and we just assume like, all right, they're gonna know. If you know, I don't know the information, but I know who to go to for the information. In addition to those people. I check not only the Guttmacher map, 
but also the New York Times map. So there's a map from the Guttmacher Institute that runs down where states are in terms of restrictive to most protective um, in relationship to abortion rights. And mm-hmm. I use that map because it, it basically traces, like, it's a heat map of how bad are things, like how bleak are things right now, right? That map, however, is really, like, funneled toward the idea of access and theoretical access, not necessarily what people can actually get to on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. So the New York Times map is all about what is the law, what are the latest updates in the law, and they actually list out every single state um, individually to, um, you know, give information like, oh, Ohio um, has a ban, but it's currently blocked, and uh, you're going to find out more on this date. Like, they're just really good at, at New York Times of updating all that stuff. And in addition to all that work that, you know, gets you the policy wonky side of it, when somebody just wants to know how to access an abortion right now, I send them to INeedAna.com. Yes. I think it's yes. .com, .org. I think they have both of them. But I need an A will tell folks really, really, really accurately where they can get an abortion. Um, they've done a great job. Like when things get um, updated, when there's a new temporary restraining order, it the site gets updated within like 15 or 20 minutes. I mean, it's really quick. Um, big shout out to all the folks that I need an A because they're keeping us they're keeping us centered in this time of rapid transformation. But the information war is really a big deal. In our last podcast episode, we mentioned how disinformation is really utilized by the anti-abortion movement as a cudgel, as a weapon, really to, to harm individuals who are seeking abortion care, to limit who can access abortion, and they do it in the most disingenuous of ways. So a big part of our work at Faith Choice Ohio is not just making sure that we know where the information is, but it's making sure that all of our faith communities and our faith leaders and our individual members know where to go for solid information and that they know how to disperse that information because faith communities historically are trusted messengers because they are places where people go for solid information, right? You Mm -hmm. wouldn't go to um, a faith community or belong to a faith community if you didn't believe that that faith community was producing, you know, solid information for you, right? So people Mm -hmm. who are seeking solid information will often go to their faith communities for that. So we want to make sure that faith communities have all the information they need to help people access abortion and know the latest about their abortion rights under the law. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think a lot of that like work that you're doing with the clergy for choice like helps uh, do that, helps keep people informed on what's going on, and makes a space that where people can you know talk about things and get to understand uh, what's going on more. Uh, I just I think a lot about like this um, the stigmatization of of religion i know this seems like kind of like off but like as i'm as i'm as we're talking about this and as i'm like thinking about this um i i think about like how the concept for some people that people of faith 
uh, also are the same people getting abortions might be like difficult. Um, even though it's absolutely true and it should not be a difficult thing. Um, but like, I, cause I think like sometimes when people think of people of faith, they think of like, you know, the, the stereotype of a person of faith. And I think when I've, I've met people who have like stopped being a part of faith practices because when they think of faith, they even think of like that kind of like, they think of what the very loud uh, minority is spewing that, you know, people of faith is not, are, are not, a, or faith communities are not ones where you can, you know, be honest about uh, having an abortion or be secure and feel comfortable being your whole self. Like there has been a lot of precedence of the loud minority um, making that seem like it's the absolute truth. However, there are absolutely, and I think, I, I hope that anybody listening to this podcast knows this by now, but in case this is your first time or uh, it's a newer concept for you, like people, there, like a, so many people have faith practices that they, you know, believe in and um, beliefs that they rely on and communities that they trust um, and also are, you know, pro-choice or even like pro-abortion. Um, and so I, I just wanted to, to say that because that's just something that's been running through my head a little bit is like maybe this assumption that people who have abortions are uh, not religious, but like that is not true. And like people of faith are not only supporting people who have abortions and are not only the people who love people who have abortions, but also are the people who are having the abortions. Um, so yeah, I just, wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to to say that cause it's just something that keeps replaying through my mind. Like, yes, a, a pastor um, in a, in a faith community that, you know, not, not all of them because there are obviously the really terrible ones, the loud minority, um, like I was saying. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, like, your faith community or a faith community that you may want to be a part of is not a good resource for that because they can be. And, you know, we have uh, our clergy for choice who are working or are those resources for their communities. Um, yeah, that's my, <laughs> that's my little rant Absolutely. about people of faith being people who have abortions. Absolutely. And, you know, people of faith, as well as their, their leaders, as well as their clergy, are people who have abortions. You know, we, mm -hmm. we have spoken um, several times about um, Lowy Powell, Reverend Lowy Powell, who is an ordained United Church of Christ minister uh, residing here in Ohio, who her story has been very public um, about receiving an abortion early on in uh, kind of this uh, this American infatuation with the politics of abortion, right? I believe uh, Louis' abortion was pre-Roe by a few years, had participated in the clergy consultation service on abortion as a person seeking information from clergy, and clergy here in Ohio were able to help Louis um, get access to all options counseling and eventually get access to her abortion. And Lowy's an ordained minister. Mm -hmm. Ordained ministers and rabbis and other clergy of other faith traditions 
have abortions. People in our congregations and in our faith communities have abortions. And folk don't necessarily put those together because the opposition has so effectively made this system a binary falsehood, right? Mm -hmm. There is this assumption that if you are religious or pious or holy in, you know, your practice and your mindset and all, you know, this, this uh, kind of religiosity, then you must oppose abortion. And the fact is, time and time and time again, the vast majority of religious persons support access to safe legal abortion. Mm-hmm. No matter their their faith background, no matter their you know historic understanding, we see even among some of the most rigid groups that we think of as like like rigidly anti-abortion in their hierarchy, like the Catholic Church, vast majorities of Catholics, over fifty mm-hmm. percent, well over fifty percent, support access to safe legal abortion. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you've said, it's, it's not just like this binary of, Oh, there are people who have abortions and then there are religious people. Like people who have abortions are religious and people who mm-hmm. are religious have abortions. I think, mm-hmm. um, the statistic right now is that one in four people who have abortions in the United States is Catholic. Huh. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty big statistic. When you think about it, 25% of all persons who have abortions are members of the Catholic faith, right? Mm. That is absolutely essential to telling the story of what our reality is, right? Mm -hmm. Because the reality is people who have faith have abortions. Yeah. And I think like, uh, it's astonishing to me and sad, honestly. Um, the people that I've heard who have stepped away from their faith communities because they don't want to, you know, come off as a a person of faith who would not be like open or accepting or whatever. Um, And especially be somebody who would support someone who would have an abortion. Like I've known people who like religion was as they were growing up, like a big part of their life. And then as they came into adulthood, They've chosen to, like, step away from that. And, I mean, I am not not among that group. Like, I, uh, I've i talked a little bit on our blog about, like, my own spiritual journey and where I'm at with that. But, um, you know, when I originally decided that I wanted to be a part of faith um, work, one of my, uh, like, original concerns that I had with um, taking on a licensed local pastor um, service was that people would think that I would be a person who doesn't cuss (laughs) or that I would be someone who like wouldn't go out to get drinks or that I would be a person who would be just as soon as I don that title of pastor Kelly Fox, uh, then I become a holier than thou, like ultimate purist person and that that would forever be how people see me um and that was like one of my main (laughs) kids granted I was I was like 21 and I was (laughs) concerned with those kinds of things which it's different now but like that was one of my main concerns then and um Later, I ended up leaving my licensed local pastor job, not because I didn't want to um, 
necessarily be like I wanted to get rid of the pastor title. It was more because the place that I was in was not one where it was, you know, uh, accepting of LGBTQ people or a place that like supported people who have abortions. Um, so that's why I left that, that space. And even now, like I haven't joined a faith community, um, because I don't want to be a part of a space that has that negative aspect. Um, but I still do have my own faith life, like personally, my own independent faith life. Um, and I try to be pretty open with people about my own spiritual journey and where I'm at and what, what things I believe, um, which I have a heavy like background in like Christian spirituality, but, uh, like I, I know people who similar to how I felt when I first became a pastor are concerned about like what, what they would look like to, to be a person of faith and therefore choose not to even explore the idea of being a part of a faith community. Um, which is sad because like there are <laughs> a lot of, um, faith spaces that are very open and very welcoming. And I've like dabbled in a few of those. Um, I just haven't committed to anything just because I'm going through my own period of personal trauma. You know, I think sometimes you got to have a separation so you can heal. And that's kind of where I'm at in my journey. But for mm -hmm. people who need that kind of support and want to be a part of a faith community, like, I just want to say that, like, don't let the view that you wouldn't be seen as a person who would support somebody who has an abortion or a person who doesn't have an abortion or whatever kind of stereotype has been aligned with the people of faith. Don't let that be the reason that you don't choose to be a part of a faith community or don't choose to be like, um, open with people about like your faith life. But right. <laughs> I know this was kind of a sidetrack, but like this just to go back to the um, like faith communities are a place where you can find good and accurate um, and trustworthy information. At least the, the spaces. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Again, we're going yeah. back to this like yeah. disinformation thing like there there are on the one hand, there are very great like churches and um, faith communities that would lead you to the correct information, wouldn't send you to a CPC, wouldn't, um, you know, like rat you out to somebody because who knows what these times are right now. Um, there are definitely the good ones, but then there are, <laughs> there are still some bad ones. Um, so, I mean, like... Right. It's it's hard for me. I both want to encourage people to to join faith communities and to know that they are trustworthy. But then on the other hand, to also, you know, make sure that there's not like these kind of mm, like dog whistles of uh, yes. of like, well, no, just dog whistles of like people being like racist or uh, homophobic or like implying that people with uteruses should not be able to make decisions over their own bodies. Right. And and we've seen really a movement in the last 10 years or so around multiple issues um, of folks wanting clarity 
from churches. There's actually an organization called Church Clarity that specifically rates churches and evaluates churches on the basis of how clear are these churches about two things. First, LGBTQ involvement in their church. And second, the involvement of people who aren't men in their church. And they have some fascinating criteria. Like, they they want to know, like, are, are you going to allow LGBTQ persons to be members? Are you going to allow them then to be um, leaders in the church? Are you going to allow them to be ordained in your churches? And are you going to allow them to be married in your churches? Like, it's a whole process because the goal is to be clear about what your theology is so that people do not get taken advantage of or lied to or feel like they're being lied to by the church not being up front. And I, I've, I found that fascinating. What we're now seeing is a national movement for a similar designation for congregations around reproductive health rights and justice. Sacred mm-hmm. is an organization, um, you know, uh, spiritually affirming, let, let's see if I can get it right, spiritually affirming communities for reproductive dignity, right? So sacreddignity.org, great organization that we are partnering with, of course, and uh, you know, trying to resource congregations with, but they're going through a process of helping congregations study and then publicly certify and publicly make plain their position as a reproductive freedom congregation, a congregation that's that's open um, to all options counseling and that affirms abortion as a holy right, as well as a reproductive justice framework and lens to their work. They've done tremendous work, but it's for exactly the same reason that, that you listed, Kelly. Like, people who are not currently part of a church community who are looking for either a church or a synagogue or some other faith community to, to be a part of seeking that kind of clarity of voice and purpose, they need to know whether they're safe or not in these spaces. Mm -hmm. Because not every congregation, not every faith community is safe for people seeking abortion care. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's a big piece of the puzzle that we hope to play a part in. And we certainly, you know, now play a part in when, when people call me up, they're like, Hey, I have a friend who is, you know, dealing with uh, a lot of, you know, emotions and feelings um, around their faith community and abortion right now. Do you know a place that's pro-abortion that they can go? Mm-hmm. And I get to be kind of like Yenta the matchmaker, right? To mm-hmm. be like, well, you know, what are they looking for? What kind of congregation? I know a congregation near them, right? Like, you know, to kind of help them into that space. But there's got to be something more than you know just the word of mouth process because people deserve clarity in their faith communities and people deserve faith communities that affirm the dignity of who they are and the dignity of all their choices yeah yeah Mm. and Mm. i i think like um this this clarity piece i think is like really super important i mean it's something that i know that i care a lot about like I, I truly believe that if people do not know what is an option for them or do not know like what is out there, then they don't have full agency of choice to be able to choose a place that fits best for them. 
So, um, you know, we will definitely be including um, these links in our show notes um, so that people can have access to that kind of information. Um, and, and, and like I was looking at the, um, clarity, the church clarity one, um, around LGBTQ, um, uh, affirmation and, um, affirmation of non men in, in leadership. And I mean, it's not only like what is the, the positives, but also, you know, having the negatives in there, because like, if you don't know that a church is not affirming then you walk in there making the assumptions that like oh you know these are people who believe that everybody you know deserves a full healthy life that is life-giving to them um if you <laughs> if you go into a place that's not affirming like that can be a real a real like a real letdown and can be you know a place of trauma so i'm i'm very grateful for these for these resources and spaces that are making making clarity when so many people have worked <laughs> against that clarity. Um, and, you know, I know we're running low on time here, but uh, I guess, like, you know, faith spaces, again, like, can be a good place for information and um, also just, like, having people around that you trust um, to, to share your values, I think is really important. So Terry, you have any, you have any other thoughts before we end our podcast for today? I am just so grateful that we have a community that holds us in repro, in faith spaces all around us in this moment, because here's the big message, folks. You can't do this alone. We yeah. can't do this alone. None of us can do this alone because we are not made for isolation. We're made for community. We are made mm -hmm. to live this thing called life together. And I'm just so grateful that when we don't have the answers, we know people who do and we know where to go for good, solid information and for that kind of mutual aid and support. That's what it's mm -hmm. all about. Mutual aid, mutual support, we're going to get through this. Yeah. Um, I, I have this uh, phone case, and it says, like, a, a bunch of different statements about myself. But one of them is being in my lane. And I think, like, being uh, good at one thing can sound like a bad thing. But there are people who you know, their spiritual gift is being able to read the news and share the information that I need so I don't stress myself out by, like, reading the whole thing. And there are people who their their spiritual gift is, like, reading the law and understanding it better than I do. Um, so there are people out there, there are these resources out there that we will share with you um, so you, that you can have that trusted information. Um, but... Uh, we will, you know, be back in a couple weeks and we'll see what the landscape is like then. Uh, Absolutely. Stay safe out there. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Soul. If you'd like to hear more of our conversations on religion, abortion access, and all things repro, you can find all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. 
For more content, training, and other information, check us out at faithchoiceohio.org.